Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Eric Bilstadt, before you run off, we were talking about entertainment. Yeah. All right, piece of Milwaukee trivia. Do you know what happened 42 years ago yesterday, July 21st? 42 years ago, the category is entertainment and uh, Milwaukee entertainment. Uh, I was going to guess Elvis Presley dying, but that wasn't it. No, 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 no. Okay, fair enough. Put you on the spot. It, it is obscure because, well, it probably wouldn't relate to you. It might have been a little bit before your time. Okay. George Carlin, arrested ah, at Summerfest. Yes, yes, the yes, seven yes. words you cannot say on television or at Summerfest ah, 47 that. years ago today. And this is a true story. People say, people complain. They, everybody says they were at the Ice Bowl, you know, and, and they never were. I, I wasn't at the Ice Bowl. Actually, I was in, uh, I, my first Packers game was the week before that at County Stadium. It was the playoff game. They played the Los Angeles Rams. It was the game before the Ice Bowl. I was like 10 years old. It's the first game I went to. And I found out the only place you could go to get warm in County Stadium, and it was cold, 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 was the, the men's rooms, the bathrooms. <laughs> and so, I mean, everybody, yep. our seats were like in the, the end zone, the outfield end zone and i'm freezing i'm 10 years old i'm a kid i I just i have no i i just i'm cold and cold and cold and so that was actually the first time i ever drank coffee because you know i'm just it's like keeping you warm (laughs) but so everybody's piled into the bathroom and i I was i remember always thinking if you ever really had to go in the bathroom you know you you were in trouble because everybody was just there just to try to warm up so i i wasn't at the ice bowl but i was the game before that and i was at summerfest on july 21st 1972 they used to do summerfest later you know, July 21st, 1972, I think it was a Saturday night, as I recall, George Carlin was one of many, many acts. The headliner was Arlo Guthrie, you know, Woody Guthrie's okay. Get yep. Alice's yep. Restaurant and stuff. And they had, I, I just, I vividly remember this, the Siegel Schwalls, Siegel Schwal Blues Band, and they had Brewer and Shipley, who had one song, it was One Toke Over the Line. That was their big song, and maybe there was somebody else. And they had George Carlin. So I, and this was when the, it was before like the amphitheater. The main stage was on the north end of the grounds, and it was just, it was benches and benches and benches, and then beyond that, it was just, like grass and stuff, and and what we would do is we get a group of guys together, and you'd go down and you'd early and you'd like stake out a bunch of benches, and then you'd go off in like three person groups right. to yep, go yep, explore yep. it. That's how you ended up yeah. doing it. But George Carlin, who was a mainstream a, 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 up until. Okay, so this is 72. In, in the 60s, George Carlin was like this mainstream comedian, you know, clean cut, all that type of stuff. He'd do The Tonight Show and those things. And then sometime in the late 60s, early 70s, he kind of became, you know, the counterculture guy, over along with the times and grew the big beard and the long hair. And Summerfest 
And it's interesting. I have this story. I, I, I pulled up the story from July 22nd, 1972. Cops arrest comedian for profane show. Mm-hmm. And Henry Jordan was the Don, he was the executive director, former Packers lineman. He was the executive director at Summerfest at, at the time. And, you know, he's quoted as saying, well, it was definitely in bad taste. I was, I was very disappointed. Carlin got up on the stage and this is the first mistake Summerfest has made in three years of picking <laughs> An entertainer. I'm quoting from Jordan now. He used a lot of profanity. The police went up on stage after he had finished his act and arrested him. Henry Jordan said he supported the police action because of the number of children that were in the crowd. I don't know about that exactly, but what I remember is a lot of marijuana smoke in the crowd. That's what I remember. Um, Police Lieutenant Andrew Busalaki said it was his decision to arrest the performer. He said he and other policemen on the grounds received numerous complaints from parents who were there with young children. He performed his act. I just didn't know what his act was, Jordan said. I'd seen him on Johnny Carson, and he was great, but he didn't use that language on Johnny Carson. Summerfest is supposed to be a family show. So... 1972, 47 years ago, yeah, and how times change because I still know those seven words that you, you can't say on TV or in Milwaukee, except now <laughs> you hear, you hear, I think, all of them on a regular basis. On, sometimes in a newscast. Sometimes in a newscast, <laughs> and certainly even on basic cable. You don't even have to subscribe to HBO anymore right. to hear yeah, some of right. the, this language. But it, the, the interesting thing was for the crowd, none of us, nobody knew that he had been arrested because they let him finish his show, mm. go off stage, and then they busted him. So, like the next day, you learned that you know he had been arrested and stuff. So it was um, it it, w- it was interesting. But for those of you who are of a certain age, and I guess I am, for it seems like a blink of an eye. But forty seven years ago, yesterday, July twenty first, nineteen seventy two, George Carlin arrested. And before three o'clock, you're going to try to sneak in every one of those words <laughs> into your show. Um, let me see. Huh? Uh uh-uh. uh uh-uh. uh uh-uh. uh uh-uh. there might, there might be there might there actually of those 7 I think there's two that you might be able to say but I'm not going to try it because as we've already established my goal for the last you know 21 years here at WTMJ has been to avoid getting called into meetings <laughs> <laughs> and I guess even though I think I can say two of those 7 words now I don't want to find ah, out okay. Mr. Carmisen, Mr. Wexler, Mr. Lane, and all the other numerous supervisors I have. I don't want to explain why I thought that was a good idea, so we'll just let it go. But thank you for tempting me. Now, see Jordan, who's producing the show till Gru gets here, because Gru's got a couple complications. Yeah, see, that's Mr. Bilstead has just thrown down that challenge. You know, does does Wagner have the guts to try to sneak? And the answer is no. Let's see if we can set a record by hitting the dump button as many times yeah, on, as we on can. On the host, the right. Yeah. right. Yes, we're, yes we're, we're going to hit that that tape del- that time delay thing, and we're going to hit it on the host. No, 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 no. We're moving on. But if that, that's just an interesting part of Milwaukee history. Okay, 414-799-1620. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, some less serious, some very serious. I, I want to start with something that happened over the weekend, and if you were there, you, you know. Now, first of all, I understand that this is a first-world problem. Big storms blowing through the, the northern part of the state, lots of trees down, lots of people who've sustained serious damage, power out. They're saying power could be out for a week or two in certain parts of the North Woods. And, I mean, that, that's just especially, I mean, if you're, if you're on wells, 
I mean, that means as a general rule, you know, you, you get one flush of the toilet. I mean, it's stuff, it's stuff like that. So not, not unsympathetic at all to that entire situation. I know they've got crews coming from all over. So I appreciate what I'm going to start off the program with is a first world problem. I, I get that. But over the weekend, Big show at Alpine Valley. Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reefer Band, um, they, they skipped last year. And so this was the first time in two years. The place was sold out. If you want to see a photograph of myself and my lovely wife from the show, you can follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 As I say, Fran, my wife, this was her second Jimmy Buffett show. Um, I stopped counting a while back after 75 shows because... Okay, maybe I've got a problem, but you know, as problems go, it's probably not that bad. But but here's here's the deal. If you try to get to Alpine Valley, and I will say this, this might be the last time I, I try to go to Alpine Valley, regardless of who's playing there, because the trap I have never seen a traffic jam like this in my life. Here here's what happened to us. My brother had organized like this bus trip. They were they were going down. They left from Pewaukee like at one thirty in the afternoon, and so they probably wouldn't get back till one o'clock in the morning. I didn't want to be down there that whole time, so I figure we'll leave late afternoon. We'll drive in. We'll hook up with the party. Get in, see the show. That's my plan. We leave our house at four thirty in the afternoon. I figure it takes about 45 minutes to get to the freeway exit to get off to go into Alpine Valley. And then I figure, okay, it's going to be a little bit crowded. Maybe it'll take another 45 minutes to get in. So I'm figuring I'm going to get there by 6 o'clock, meet up with my brother and all that. So we leave around 4.30. We get off the freeway at the Alpine Valley exit at 5.20. I am not exaggerating. It took us from 5.20 until 7 o'clock at night, an hour and 40 minutes to go approximately one mile from the freeway to County Road D, which is the one that you turn off on to go into Alpine Valley. So an hour and 40 minutes. Once we get to County Road D and you turn off on this single lane road, it was another 30 to 40 minutes before we got into the parking lot, and then we're parked like a mile away from the, the, the site. In any event, long story short, you know, we ended up having to walk a mile. We got there a little bit after 8. It was a complete and total mess trying to get in through the gates and all. Now, ultimately, we got to our seats about 8.15. They held the show. It was supposed to start at 8. They held it to like 8.30 or later. But I've never seen traffic like that in, in my life. Just never, ever, ever, and I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't fault the Walworth County Sheriff's Department. I, I guess I don't know what about Alpine Valley, but I, it's. It was just. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was like. Imagine the worst LA traffic jam that you can imagine, and that's what it was like. Paul on the North Shore. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Hi, Paul. We uh, we actually headed home from up north Saturday morning. Uh, drove through all those storms, so knew the intensity was bad. Dropped the kids off and then got on a bus about two o'clock. So we were ahead of that storm that came around four four thirty. Right. Uh, but I have a buddy who actually does some high security for Alpine Valley, and he has told me that they were thinking about canceling the show based on the lightning and if that storm was going to come later, about five thirty six six thirty. So they held all the cars out of the parking lot. Okay. Um, because of either possible cancellation and lightning. And so that's why everyone's backed up on the highway and the, and the country roads. 
Yeah, it was, and, and it, I've never been that bad before. I've never seen anything like that in my life, and it's interesting because actually it was a perfect night. I mean, the weather it, it wasn't too hot, it wasn't too cold, it was just perfect. It was just um, so so so. Even if I had come an hour or two earlier, what you're saying is I would have still it would still been all messed up because they did. No, they, no, we got there about two two thirty, and we drove right in on the bus. Okay, I think when that storm came through about four, they thought it was going to be five thirty ish. Yeah, when it was came about four or four fifteen. They said, "Wait a minute!" And they they put a hold on every everyone coming in uh, because of the lightning and possible cancellation. Right? Ne- I have never I have never so been in a traffic. You left at the wrong time. <laughs> exactly. That's all. Yeah. Well, there's there's no question about it. I left at the wrong time. Thank thanks for the call. Yeah, it's. And by the way, it was it was a great show. The part of the problem, and this is one of the reasons, whenever we talk about Alpine Valley, it's 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 hard to get to because it's off a a two lane road. And there's like only one or two two-lane feeder roads to get into it. So when you get that heavy traffic, um, when you get that heavy traffic, there's just nowhere to go. And if and like for example, the intersection that we hit where you turn onto County Road D, they were you, you had cars coming from the east, the west, and the north, and the police were letting them through like five cars at a time. Well, when you've got hundreds if not thousands of cars it's just it's just impossible to get to and i i mean i i'm it was it was kind of funny because we're on the road coming in and again we're, you're at a dead stop i mean we're talking about an hour and 30 to 40 minutes to go a mile i'm watching all these people in the line of cars ahead of us there would be men and women who were getting out of the cars they were running into bushes and behind trees on the side of the road all because they, they had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it was just like, okay, I guess if you got to go, you got to go. Sean in Hartford. Sean, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? First, Hi, who's Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> um, and, and why are 35,000 people <laughs> going to see him? Got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when, when Jimmy Buffett opened up for Huey Lewis, that's how I'm going to put it, a few years ago, um, yeah, we had we had the same problems. And I still remember when back in the 80s when you know, all the big concerts were held there. They just have never seemed to figure out a way to get cars in there. And getting out is fun. Well, sometimes it's worse, but usually we find getting out is a lot easier than getting in. It's kind of like going to the brewery game on the freeway. We've had had to wait over an hour and 40 minutes just to get into a brewery game. And we live eight minutes from the from the, or eight miles from the ballpark. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Get, thanks for culture. Getting out was no problem. Now we we're at the we're at the way back. And other than the fact that you had to walk a mile to to get there, and and actually we left with a couple songs left because after taking three hours to get in, I just. I, I, I was on my last nerve. I admit it. Great concert, but I, I didn't want to take three hours to get back home. So, um, I guess the bottom line is if you're going to go to shows there, and they've got, I'm, I'm thrilled. They got a few more shows left this summer. My only advice would be pack your patience. If I could channel Debbie Lazica. Uh, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let me give you a moment of personal pride here. My goddaughter, my my niece Sydney, just got a note uh, selected for inclusion on the dean's list. All right, that's very good. She's a sophomore, just finished her sophomore year at San Diego State. Smart gal. She 
obviously takes after her father, not her godfather. Do you want to be? Do you want state fair tickets? Wisconsin's radio station is your best chance to win tickets to the Wisconsin State Fair. Tune in tomorrow during Wisconsin's morning news, and you can try your hand at the State Fair fun fact of the day. Be the first caller to answer the fun fact correctly, and you will win four free tickets to the fair. Good luck. The fair, of course, starts a week from Thursday, and as you've been hearing on the promos. Once again, in in response to popular demand, we are doing our State Fair Cream Puff Apalooza. That will be a week from Wednesday. Little bit different this year, but same basic premise. Um, I will be out there. Actually, I think my wife's going to be with me this year, too. She wanted to see what it's like starting at 6.20 in the morning. This is um, a week from Wednesday, July 31st, day before the State Fair opens. Um, We will be giving away 623 packs of cream puffs to the first 620 cars that are in line outside the main gate to the State Fair in front of in front of the uh, the Pettit Ice Center there, you know, parallel to the freeway. Same place that we have always done it. So cars, I will tell you, cars start lining up at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, um, and we'll, we'll give away 623 packs to the first, again, 620 cars. Once they're gone, they're gone. And, and typically, believe it or not, they, they, they're – my guess is they'll be gone in 20 or 25 minutes. We have the good folks at the State Fair. They have the State Fair police, and we line all sorts of cars up in multiple lines, and then we feed it into two lines, and we get you in and out quickly. But, yes, Cream Puffapalooza is back in order to get you kind of in the mood for the State Fair. And, uh, once again, I will be broadcasting live most of the weekdays of the State Fair, if not all. haven't quite seen the schedule yet, um, but a number of WTMJ programs will be originating from the State Fair, as always. So, if you're out there enjoying the 2019 Wisconsin State Fair, be sure to come by our broadcast facility and say hello. When we come back, stop complaining, fix it. Stick around. We're back. Stop complaining and fix the problem. Right. Let me give you a little bit of history on the, the, our laws with regard to asylum. The laws in the United States says that if somebody coming into this country claims that they are seeking asylum, that is that they are fearing persecution in, in, in their home country, they may, and I say may, be entitled to asylum. First, they have to establish that they fear persecution in their home. Secondly, they have to prove that they would be persecuted on basis of a a protected grounds, race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or particular social group. It's not enough to say, I'm coming from a country where... Uh, the economic opportunities aren't good or there's a lot of crime and I'm trying to make a better life for myself, that doesn't qualify you for asylum. But the laws on asylum, the way they work is that when somebody gets to this country, you get to the border and you, you say, I'm applying for asylum. The law says that we are supposed to hold you until your claim can be decided. So the reality is the vast majority of people who end up at the border claiming asylum, they're ultimately not going to qualify for asylum under the law. But the law says, you know, we're supposed to hold them until their 
their case gets decided. Okay, here's the problem with this. The problem is that we don't have large facilities to hold people who are asking for asylum. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. And if you release somebody, so I come into this country with my wife from Guatemala, and I say, oh, we're fearing, we're freeing, we're fleeing political persecution. And, and even though I'm probably not going to be able to prove that, and I'm probably not going to qualify for asylum, what happens is if they don't have a spot to hold me, and they say, okay, well, tell you what, we're going to release you into the country, but we want you to come back in six weeks or eight weeks when your case can be heard. What happens is a large percentage of the people that they release into the country, they never come back. So it creates a problem. Now, here's the numbers. Ten years ago, on average, and I'm just kind of looking at this, the number of people who presented themselves for asylum and were accepted was about 40,000 per year. That's for the entire year, all right? You can handle 40,000 people coming in over the period of 12 months. I mean, do the math, you know, what's that? That's 3,000, a little bit over 3,000 a month for 12 months. You can handle that. The problem now is that this whole asylum thing has exploded. And, and, and you don't have, you know, you don't have 3,000 a month. You have 3,000 a day, maybe more, just presenting themselves at, at the border. And the facilities down there it was never designed to take tens of thousands of people. So you're, you're in a situation where you, you don't have the resources, to, to deal with this. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that a lot of the detention facilities that you have there are, are very overcrowded. And, and there, there's no question about it because they're being overwhelmed with the number of people because when this law was originally passed, here, we'll let you into the country and, you know, we'll, we'll detain you, we'll hold you while we're processing the asylum application. It was never, ever, ever anticipated that you would be getting I don't know, tens of thousands of people coming in every week. That that's just it wasn't geared up for that. So now you have these detention facilities which are clearly, you know, like I say they're overwhelmed on so many levels. So now you have a number of elected representatives, particularly democratic congressmen and women who are going down to the border. Mark Pocan out of Madison was one of them. And, and they're, they're coming back and they're saying, oh, this is just terrible. You've got all these people and they're sleeping on these cots on the floor. And you've got these kids that are there. And it's just, it's just terrible. It's overwhelming. Look at all this these overcrowding problems. And you know what? <clears throat> to an extent, you know, they're, they're right. These places are overcrowded because the, the immigration system right now is being overwhelmed. Because, again, you've got people coming predominantly now from Guatemala, but also from Mexico and other states and other places in Central America, and they're overwhelming the U.S. So we have one story after another about all these different Democrats who are denouncing President Trump and are denouncing the crisis at the border and are down there saying, oh, look, these people, they're not being fed properly, and they've got all these problems, all these problems, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what you don't hear from this conversation is, what do you plan? What do you want to do about it? Yes, it, it is a problem. I, I think most of us would agree that it's a problem because you have a system right now. The law doesn't work because the law says you got to once you're in this country, you get to you get to stay 
until your hearing occurs. But the reality is if we release people before the hearing and just tell them to come back, they're never going to come back. Um, the vast majority of them, at least, aren't going to come back. So you have to detain them in some way, but you don't have a large enough, you don't have the facilities to do it. And you have all these Democrats that are complaining. Oh, this is terrible. Look at these conditions. They're overcrowded, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? They might have a point. But what, what you don't hear is, okay, what is the alternative to this? Because really, the, the only alternative, unless we are going to take hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and immediately start building more detention facilities and internment camps and whatever at various places on the border. The only other alternative is essentially to say, okay, let's just have open borders. Let, let's just allow people to, to come in, and anybody who comes in and wants a better life, don't you realize, the argument would be, this country was founded on immigrants coming in seeking a better life. So So what if... We, we have a couple million people that now flock, flock to the United States because they want that better life. Um, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I'm frustrated by the complaining without any realistic alternative. Because, like I say, under the law right now, unless we are just going to let anybody who wants to come in through the southern border come in, and hope that they will come back to have their their hearing when it's scheduled. You don't have any alternative other than to detain them. And I acknowledge that the detention camps, they're overwhelmed, they're overcrowded with people, more and more people who are pouring in every day. So unless you're going to have this massive building effort, the only other reasonable alternative is to just let people come in and hope that they're willing to come back when they're scheduled. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I, I don't think that's a reasonable alternative. Uh, th- that is essentially open borders. And I don't think this country can handle a massive influx of people from Central America. I mean, I think you need to have some degree of control on the border. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and I don't think that makes. I hope that it doesn't make me heartless. I see what's going on, and I understand some of these claims about, hey, this is a humanitarian crisis. But it's not a humanitarian crisis that's been caused by anything the United States has done. It's a humanitarian crisis which is being caused by people fleeing other countries in an effort to try to find a better life. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. <laughs> So, very glad to have you with us. Tony in New Berlin. Tony, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I think we, we need to go back to the old way. Um, like when my great-grandparents and my grandparents came over this country from Sicily, they basically, if, if, if they weren't healthy enough uh, to, to work and support themselves, uh, they were sent back. Um, they were given medical attention. They were, you know, they were fed and they were well-treated, but uh, they wanted people that were going to contribute to the society. They don't... We, we can't give health care to the whole world. We can't give guaranteed jobs to everybody. There's only so many people that we can have in this country at one time. And right now, I think we're flooding the, uh, the labor market. We're going we're gonna to have a big detriment. This is going to be a big strain on our, our, our judicial system, number one, our educational system. And our social uh, services system. And the social, yeah, whole social absolutely. services system, yeah. I, and, and, go ahead. 
No, I, I was just going to say, and again, I, I don't mean this to sound heartless, but I, I don't know that there's any major industrialized country in the world that allows just for, for open borders. Uh, now, I understand in Europe, you've got like the European Union, so people can travel back and forth. But but I, I mean, I if you... If you look at some of the problems that some of these European countries are having, it's with this massive flood, influx of people, you know, coming from other countries where the lifestyle, working conditions, whatever, are, are substandard. Well, I'm sorry for that, but you, you have to have some controls on the number of people who come in, don't you? Absolutely. You have to have some rule of law, and, and I think you have to take care of the people that are actually citizens and taxpayers uh, before you take care of people that aren't even uh, legally to, uh, able to be here. So I think the politicians need to really have a serious wake-up call and start taking care of their their, their constituents right. other than people that really aren't uh, here legally. Right. So. Well, thank, well, thanks. And again, and, and see, with the asylum question, I mean, this the asylum laws, and I firmly believe this, Okay, you, you come in, you're fleeing political persecution, and, and it's it's a well-intended sort of thing. But but those envisioned appear, and so it's, you can come in, and then you'll, you'll be detained until your hearing is ordered, and then probably 50, 60, 70% of the people have their asylum claims denied, you're sent back. That, that system... That system anticipated, you know, all right, we're, we're going to deal with we're going to deal with forty or fifty thousand people a year. It didn't anticipate that we're going to deal with forty thousand people a month. And again, the, the system right now is overwhelmed. So somebody challenged me, well, what would be your solution, Jeff? My solution would be that that you would change the law, saying that okay, you come into this country, you apply for asylum, but you're not going to be admitted until you get the hearing. That's that's it. Now that creates a practical problem. Where are you going to stay while that hearing is occurring? But it's either that, or it's okay. Commit tens of millions of dollars, probably more, to start building more and more detention camps along along the border. And I don't know that that's a good solution either. But for all these people who are going down there and complaining about the conditions, my response would be go back to Washington and, and figure out how to fix it. If you don't like my ideas, my two solutions, either preferably changing the asylum law or committing a ton more money to build detention centers, all right, come up with what your plan C is. But merely complaining that, oh, th- these conditions aren't good, that that's not helpful. It doesn't change the dialogue. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with uh, you and uh, the previous caller, Tony. Uh, my parents came here from Slovakia back in the day, and they had to have, like, legit papers and green cards and everything else to get in. And if you came to Ellis Island and you had a limp or a gimp and the border guard saw that, you were given some medical attention and sent back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I get... And I, just, yeah. I, I was going to say, we supposedly have some brilliant people in Congress who have degrees and... Uh, higher education that should figure out how to change the laws and make this right 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 exactly and, th- and thanks for calling and again you want i i get it. it just the laws were not geared in anticipation of this number of people coming in and see and, and but here here's why you don't get a lot of solutions from uh, again the left it's because what they really want is they really want open borders that that's what they really want. Let, let's just let anybody who wants to come in 
come in and we'll figure out a way to get them a path to permanent residency or a path to citizenship so they'll vote for us or whatever. Let's just let's let them come in. But they can't come out and say that because if they say that, it creates all these these other issues, like all sorts of people say. Really, you want you want to have open borders? What are you thinking of? So instead, it's just easier to say, "Well, look what's going on down there." You know, this isn't working. Well, I, I appreciate that it's not working because the system is absolutely overwhelmed. So you got to either change the system, abolish the system, and allow open borders if that's your alternative, or again, build more of these detention facilities that are there. Those are, at least realistically, your only options. So, I mean, okay, Alexandria Ortez Cortez, tell me what your plan is. You know, don't just go down there and complain that, oh, there's people that are sleeping on the floor on mats and there's all these kids that are bunched up. Yeah, I'm sure there are. So tell me what the fix to that is. Renee in Waukesha. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Oh, I agree so much with you. The thing is... It's all well and good. I would love for everybody to come and have a better life. But when you're talking that many people, our country is going to get, and if we have open borders, our country is going to get so overwhelmed with people, nobody's going to have a better life. Our health care system is going to be taxed. The crime system is going to be crazy because there won't be enough police and whatever to take care of it. The, the food, there won't be enough food. Uh, look at the homeless people we have here in Milwaukee living under a bridge in town. We're going to be talking about that in about 10 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's just, and you look, again, you, all you have to do is look at the European model and look at what's going on in some of the countries now, Germany, France, I could give you some other examples as well, who've been dealing with this essentially open borders, this huge influx of people from other countries looking for a better life, and now they're, they're overwhelmed. These you, you can't – I mean, I don't think you can do it, but I, at least we should have the policy debate. If, if people think open borders is a good idea, good, let's have that discussion. But don't complain about the detention camps unless you've got a solution. My sister-in-law lives in Budapest, and she, she said that things have been crazy over there yeah. since all this happened. And – when my folks came over to the United States, you couldn't even, they couldn't even come over here unless they had a sponsor that already lived in the United States that was a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure absolutely that's the case. I love Budapest. You know, we, that's where we started off on our cruise last year. My wife and I just, I just, what, it's a beautiful city. It's an incredible yes, city. But no, thank, like, I was, and I was, I was completely and totally surprised. And, and by the way, one of my quick side notes about being in Budapest, you know, that, that of course was behind the Iron Curtain before the Iron Curtain fell. Anybody out there who thinks the Russian system or socialism is the way to go, you talk to these tour guides and stuff who grew up under the Iron Curtain and in Soviet rule and in a socialist society, you, you talk to them for 10 minutes and listen to their story, and you'll understand that the West really isn't that bad. All right, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the tent city and and – is there really any reason at all that UW professors should be sleeping with their students or sleeping with students, whether they're teaching them or not? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, 
So very glad to have you with us. All right. Uh, there's a story out today, and, and UW Oshkosh has been a complete and total mess for a while. Jordan, we can knock down the music in the background. It's still playing. It's been a complete and total mess for, for quite a while. They, they've had one scandal after another that's cost the taxpayers a, a bunch of money. And, and, and maybe it, it comes down to the former president of the university. I, I don't exactly know. But it, it's been a mess. So here's the latest story. Uh, UW has apparently, and this, this is, I mean, it's supported by the taxpayers. It's agreed to pay $325,000 to a student, a female student, who says that um, UW Oshkosh violated her rights and acted with deliberate indifference to the sexual harassment she faced from one of her professors. All right, let me not bury the lead here. I don't understand at all why the university allows instructors and professors to sleep with students whether they're their students or not. It seems to me that that's a, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Really bad idea. Okay, so here, here's what ends up happening. There's, a, there's this woman, she is a, she's a student. There's a professor, his name, he's a former art professor. His name is Michael um, Belts. Um, and what happens is he's not there, he's not there anymore. They ended up, he ended up moving on. So what happens is, 2012, they began what is described as a consensual sexual relationship. He's he's the professor. She's the student. All right. What happened then is that, you know, after time moves on, as frequently happens, you know, th- these relationships end up going bad. So her story is. Okay, they were in this consensual sexual relationship. She tries to she tries to push back. She kind of like wants out of this and he doesn't want her to go. And you know, her allegations are that, you know, he becomes controlling and demanding and emotionally abusive, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and sexually abusive. Okay? So she's trying to pull away. She told university officials that he coerced her into sex, forced her to take a morning after pill, tried to kiss her without her consent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, she claims that the uh, he engaged in intimidating and degrading behavior. And then it, it, just, it just kind of goes on and on. And she says she reported this to the university and they, they didn't promptly respond to this. And so he's not there anymore. He's teaching somewhere else, believe it or not. And, you know, she's now going to collect three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. Well, I, I was kind of curious about the UW policy on this, because as I said, students sleeping with professors or instructors strikes me as a matter of policy as being a bad idea, right? I mean, just what it's kind of like, you know, in a workplace where you've got a boss sleeping with an employee. Nothing good is going to come of that 98% of the time because when one wants to break off the relationship or whatever, you know, the, the other one's there and then there's questions of favoritism or whatever. So I, I pulled up the UW policy on, on consensual relations, and I guess I was a little bit of surprised by what it says. Here's what it says. It is the policy of the University of Wisconsin System Board of Regents that consensual relationships 
that might be appropriate in other circumstances are not appropriate when they occur between an employee of the university and a student over whom the employee has or potentially will have supervisory, advisory, evaluative, or other authority or influence. It is a violation of this policy for an instructor to commence a consensual relationship with a student currently under their instruction or whom the instructor reasonably believes in the future may be under the instructor's instruction. Okay? So what they're saying is, okay, it's a violation of this for you to sleep with somebody that is your student. All right? It is a violation of this policy for you to sleep with someone who might be your student. Okay, I I understand that, and, and I don't disagree with it. I am shocked that it does not go farther, though. Why in the world should we allow instructors or professors to sleep with students, period? I mean, my... My my simple solution to this, because nothing, again, good can come of this. I mean, it, my simple solution would be to this whole thing is that if you're a, an instructor or you're a professor, you you are not to sleep. You are not to maintain a consensual sexual relationship with a student at the university, period, with the possible exception with the exception of what if you're married to him. Okay, if you're married to him, maybe it's a different sort of thing. But but otherwise, this idea whether whether the student is directly under your control or not, it, it seems to me that by permitting consensual relations and I understand, you know, when we're talking at the college level, we're talking about people who are adults, but because you have professors or instructors and you have students and because there's going to be interaction, there, there's always that potential for some degree of favoritism. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I just, I guess I just think it's one of those deals where if you want to be an instructor or a teacher in the UW system, you need you need a defined rule, and I think that defined rule should be you don't fool around with students. At the university, period, with the possible exception of you're married to them, because whether they're in your class now or not, to me, doesn't change the dynamic and the potential for problems, et cetera, et cetera. Am I missing something here? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and what could be possibly be the, the justification for allowing professors or instructors to be having consensual relations with students again whether they're directly in their class or not if if you decide that you want to get involved with a student okay fine maybe that means you have to go go to a different university or find a different career or maybe the student needs to change but students sleeping with their professors or with professors to me Really bad idea. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And until they change this rule, I think the potential is going to be there for a lot more of these here sexual uh, sexual discrimination lawsuits. Uh, it's just it's a recipe for disaster. We discuss in just a minute. 414-799-1620. So very glad to have you with us. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't understand why UW, the UW system, would permit professors or instructors to sleep with students. 
whether they're or not they're directly under the control of that particular professor. It's a recipe for disaster. Keith and Racine. Keith, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Keith. Hey, um, my guess is that, uh, you know, the, the teacher is going to take advantage of the student, watch the, you know, have sex with her, and he can use his power to give her a good grade. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the people in charge of the teacher put them rules in place so he can get away with it, huh. so he can't get in trouble. And it's a win situation for the, the girl or guy, whatever. And it's a win situation for the uh, teacher. Well, it, I, I, I mean, it's not, I don't, it's, I mean, thanks for calling. It's certainly not a win situation for the student who ends up being subjected to the unwanted sexual advances. And you know, somebody had sent me a text saying, well, what about if this stuff is, is a hoax? You know, and okay, well, that, that's, that, again, that's all the more reason not to allow, quote unquote, consensual sexual relations. Now, somebody said, well, Jeff, I, I don't understand. If they're, it's not, if they're not a student in their class, why is that a problem? Well, let us imagine that you have a powerful professor on campus, all right? You know, somebody that's, you know, well-respected, has got a lot of clout with the administration, and they're sleeping with some some student, um, even if, if it's not directly in one of their classes and all. All right, what, what does that say? If the word gets out that, hey, you know, Professor Wagner is sleeping with this, this 19-year-old girl, and, and she's in other professors' classes and she's not doing well, don't you think there might be some implicit pressure? Well, if I flunk her, I, I'm going to attract the attention of Professor Wagner, who's this powerful professor. I'm just, I, I lay this all out. Could that happen? Would it happen? I don't know, but it's certainly a potential that's there, which is, and I guess I'm also kind of thinking of this from the perspective of the parents who send their children to school, right? And again, I understand that when we're talking about college, we're talking about adults, but I, I don't know. You know, how would you feel? You send your kid off to, you know, UW-Madison or UW-Oshkosh, and you find out, oh, I've got a boyfriend, and my boyfriend's the 45-year-old guy who's teaching math. I mean, I, it, it's... I just think it it leaves the university exposed to all sorts of things, and I, I think it's just, I mean, I, I guess I think it's bad. Now, could there be exceptions? Like I say, if, if somebody's married, I, I would, if they're, you're married to that student, I would perhaps, I would create that, that exception because it's less likely that you're going to get sexual harassment claims under that particular situation, even though, but at the same time, it's still, again, leaves you open to the idea that maybe there's going to be unfair treatment if you've got the powerful professor his wife is studying in some class nobody's going to want to flunk her because it's going to get in bad with the powerful professor it's probably a bad idea but i think you probably have to make an exception for uh, people who are married nick on the east side nick you're on wtmj hey thanks jeff for taking my call sure. uh, I, I i i'm a graduate of uw milwaukee just to make this very simple, and is your former attorney law, but here's how I look at it. When you are admitted at age of whatever, 17, 18, to any university, and I, I just call it the city of Wisconsin, this is just an example, you have to sign off on a, a policy of conduct code, okay? Right. And so that you do not interact with the professor. Now, on the flip side of that, each professor that's in those, the entire university system, Oxford, Little Madison, everywhere, everybody signs off on a code of conduct that if you interact with a student, no matter, irregardless of their age, you are subject to these disciplinary policies mm-hmm. without detail. So 
that both parties consent to that. So if a student decides that I want to do my best to get an A with a professor, then they violate that, then they're going to have subjugated rules to them, right? Yeah. And same thing as the professor. So both of you, so when they go to the court of law, both of you sign these pieces of paper, then we're going to mitigate as far as paying out any claims because these policies were signed on at the time of admission and especially for the professors that work for the institution. What do you think? Well, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, here, here, here's what I, I I go back to my basic premise. I think it's a bad idea for professors to be sleeping with students, <laughs> period. And, I, and, you know, maybe you could try to figure out a way to release, you know, to try to mitigate the legal liability. But, you know, my question when I'm hearing this is you're saying, okay, well, if both parties consent to this, um, maybe it's okay. Well, no, it's not okay because what about, first of all, when, when something breaks bad, try enforcing a clause like that. But secondly, you know, what about all the, the other people that are in classes going, hey, you know, the, these two have something going on together. Um, you know, what, what about me? You know, she got an A or he got an A. Well, okay, I, I got a C. It, you know, did, did I get a C because, you know, I, I wasn't doing the nasty with the professor or whatever? I just think it's a bad idea in general. But I mean, and I guess... I go back to my basic premise that I started this with, and I, I stick by it. I don't think there is any reason for professors and our instructors at the university level to be sleeping with their students, period. And it just, you just have that black-letter rule, and then you eliminate all these different problems, and maybe you pay the tax, save the taxpayer some money. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Clean it out, clear it out, and let us move on. I am talking about the Tent City, which is now taking over downtown Milwaukee. And my question to the powers that be is, what is the matter with you, and why are you letting this occur? Now, we've discussed this one or two times on the program. Matter of fact, I've been talking about this for a couple months now. Now, finally, other media outlets are starting to pick up on this, but it's a problem that is getting worse. This, this really, it did not exist in, you know, spring, in April, but we're talking about this encampment beneath the I-794 overpass. And it started with a couple of tents, and now they estimate it's grown to 60 or more tents. It's on property. If you haven't been in downtown Milwaukee, um, it's on property that's owned by the Department of Transportation. This would be the state DOT. Tony Evers, you're listening. Um, and, it again, it was between 6th and 7th Street south of Clybourne, if you can kind of picture it there. It's now spread west of 7th Street and south towards St. Paul Avenue. So it's it's growing and growing and growing. And you have homeless people that are living in, in these tents. Now, here's what they're also finding. Yes, as often happens, the conditions are absolutely squalid. You have people that are defecating and urinating in the area. It's squalid. You have crime that is starting to break out. You have drug use. You've had a stabbing. And you've had some people who, according to the Journal Sentinel, have been recruited for criminal activities. And so now people downtown, even though Tom Barrett's not aware, Tom Barrett, if he's aware of this, 
He, he's not doing anything about it. If Chris Abley is aware of it, he's not doing anything about it. And if the State Department of Transportation is aware of it, they're not doing anything about it. But it's growing and growing and growing. And what is happening is it's being enabled by some of these like homeless advocacy groups. So what they'll do is they say, hey, we're helping these people out. So what they'll do is they'll give people they'll give people tents. They'll bring food over and feed them. They will bring clothes over and, and give them new clothes and things like that. And the idea is, well, we're helping them out of the goodness of their heart. And what they don't seem to realize is, is no, what they are doing is they are enabling them when they go about and do this because by giving them the tents what you say is okay you don't have to come and find a shelter and why is it that a lot of the people don't want to you know go to the shelters where they're clearly better off well it's because they the shelters have rules you can't drink you can't use drugs you can't fight all those different types of things and other people have you know significant mental illness problems well which i again would argue that if you've got somebody who's severely mentally ill merely enabling them to stay in a tent under a freeway overpass is not doing them a favor. If you simply bring them food and give them food, again, you're, you're eliminating the need to go to a food bank or a rescue mission or something like that where somebody might be able to check in on them and make sure that they're getting what they need. But the bigger point is, from the perspective of the city, I mean, all right, and, and here, here's my question. If, if this were a year from now, and you had the Democratic National Convention coming, can I see a show of hands? Is there anybody, anybody who thinks that Chris Abley and Tom Barrett and Tony Evers and all the powers that be in Milwaukee would allow a tent city under a freeway overpass at the height of the Democratic National Convention? And if, and oh, I see no hands going up, because of course they wouldn't. Because they recognize that this would be a bad image for the city of Milwaukee and it wouldn't be helping anybody. Well, my question would be if we accept my premise that you wouldn't allow something like this to operate during the Democratic National Convention for a wide variety of reasons, why are we allowing it to operate now? Okay, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In the last week or two, the local newspaper has finally gotten around to saying, hey, you know, maybe this is a story and maybe this isn't very good. You've got business leaders who are saying it's squalid conditions, it's unsanitary, it's crime-ridden. We have to do something. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My solution is come on in. Say we are shutting this down. You know, you have two or three days notice. Got to make other arrangements. Got to be out of here. And after that, anything that's left, you come in, you clear it out. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And you might say to me, okay, Jeff, what's that going to accomplish? Well, what it accomplishes is you force the people that are now just flopping there to go and take advantage of some of the more traditional means of help that's there, staying at the shelters, et cetera, et cetera. Because I would argue that their chances of you know, getting some sort of placement, et cetera, are a lot greater if they're in one of these more traditional sort of way facilities or whatever than if they're just flopping out under freeway overpasses, which is not good for the city, and it's not good for them. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Give them notice. Clear it out. 
clean it out. We're back. Here's a text. Jeff, hello. Where are the homeless people supposed to go? Aren't the shelters over capacity? No. As a matter of fact, they're not. Old, unused buildings downtown can be refurbished to house them. No, no. See, here, here's one of the myths. A lot of the people in this current tent city are people who have recently left or been asked to leave, for example, the rescue mission because... They didn't like the rules. They, they've been violent or or whatever. So the idea is, well, we're, we don't want to pay attention to the rules. We want to we want to be junkies. We want to use drugs and we want to drink and we want to fight and we want to commit criminal activities. Well, at the rescue mission, they're, they're telling us we got to leave if we do that. So what do we do? Well, we head over to the tent city where we can have our own little environment here. Um, 414-799-1620. And, and, of course, you know, the people that somebody asked me, and you know, where are they getting the money for the tents? No, you, you've got some of these do-gooder groups that are giving people the tents. That, that's that's where some of that is coming from. I am not being unsympathetic. Matter of fact, I would argue that I'm being a lot more compassionate by saying you got to get people off the streets and, you know, into shelters and um, getting them some permanent help as opposed to simply saying, here, flop on the streets. I don't think it's good for them, and it's certainly not good for the city. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sarah in Janesville. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I completely agree, and I know people tell me I'm hard-hearted or whatever. Give them notice, clean it up. Um, we've got a similar thing going down in Janesville where they want to now allow homeless people to sleep in their cars in the parks, in specific parks at night, rather than randomly whatever. But the problem is, and I had this, I'm an apartment manager, I had this where I had homeless people trying to set up their homes in my apartment building that was being renovated. Uh-huh. I came in and scared the bejeebers out of me because I didn't have a door locked down because painters were coming and going, and they decided to just let themselves in. I was told by the police department some of these people are kind of like floaters. In the Janesville area, they were floating down from Madison because they got kicked out of everything there. Right. They come to Janesville, get every handout they can, float on down to Rockford or head over Milwaukee Way. Some just don't want to live among the norms of society. Sure, well, and, they don't, and, right, and they don't like the rules. You know, I mean, and it's, they don't it's, want the rules. Right, no. I mean, gee, I, I, can't, I can't stay at the rescue mission because they say I, I can't drink and I can't scream and I can't fight and I can't use heroin. All right, I, I understand all that, but that, that you're not helping them by saying, and, here, we're going to enable you to like, live, live under the freeway yeah. and shoot drugs up. And I, I had the, the one homeless gentleman asking, well, can't I just stay here for a while? They figured out a way to jimmy in, so I had to install different locks on the door. I can't tell you how, and I told them no, but I can't tell you how filthy and abysmal they left the apartment in two days because I was out of town. I'm like, no respect whatsoever. And I go back to the old, like my grandma said, teach a man to fish. He can fish forever. You know, he can live. You just give him the fish for a day. You give him that tent for a day. You're not helping anyone out. You're not giving them skills. You're not addressing their issues. Right. You gotta and, get at the core. Right. And and what and what's going to happen three or four months from now? Okay, so it, it's one thing when it's seventy degrees outside or it's ninety five ninety degrees outside or another. You know, what's gonna happen when November rolls around? Are are we gonna bring in, you know, space heaters for this? Or you know, it, it's it's just it's not especially in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's not a solution to just say, Oh, here, like live in a tent under a freeway overpass. No, you're not helping anybody. You're only, like you said, you're only enabling the problem. And I don't think you're getting at the core of what the problem is with any specific person. No, th- thanks. I, no, I, I agree with you completely. And again, let me go back to the point I raised before. Do you think 
if this was a year from now that, that the mayor and the county executive and the governor who to which the transportation secretary reports to and you had all these Democrats from all over the country coming in here, do you think they'd allow that to be there? And, and I guess I, my answer would be absolutely not, because, again, all sorts of valid reasons. So if, they, if they're not going to allow it a year from now, why are they going to allow it to go on? And it's growing. You know, if this were, if this were a couple people, you know, you've got a couple mentally ill people that are there and they want to live on the freeway un- overpass. Well, at least then you can get social services involved and you can just try to decide whether there's the potential for some sort of commitment or not. But but we're not talking about two or three. We're now talking about dozens and dozens and dozens. And it's growing. It's growing. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Tim in West Dallas. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, hi. Uh, hey. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, um, I used to be one of those do-getters back in the 80s that, that helped the homeless. Well, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not mocking people who help the homeless. I'm just saying that, oh, yeah, that yeah, this yeah. isn't helping the homeless. I, I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying from my perspective, as somebody who actually wants help the homeless, I agree with you wholeheartedly. They shouldn't be out in the streets. Okay, the whole idea right. of shelters is to get people off the streets. Right. And I, I don't know, I don't know what individuals are thinking they're doing the world a favor or people a favor by having them sleep out in tents. And, uh, you know, as far as crime, nobody wants crime. Not the do-gooders, not right. the people in between. Not anybody wants crime and, and drugs. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's just, it's just asking for trouble. Right. Or having these people there, you know, why not put these people? Why not work? This would be a perfect opportunity for the politicians to, right before the convention, to uh, do something good and maybe put these people to work, have them clean up trash around the highways, give them, give them a stipend, and uh, right. uh, uh, and, and work with the shelters uh, right. and, and finding these people. Uh, yeah, right. you know, you're always going to have that criminal. You're always going to have that element that doesn't want to obey the rules. Right. You well, know? I guess I guess my end. I mean, thanks. I mean, see, look here. here here's it. Uh, obviously, the the long term. A tent is not a long-term solution. A shelter is not a long-term solution. The the long-term solution is to try to channel people into situations where, whether it's in a group setting or an individual apartment or whatever, you you can get yourself off the street. And I'm sure that there are a percentage of people that, for example, in this tent city, that that's, that's what their goal is. Let's get those folks help. It's a more difficult situation when you have the people who just... They, they they just that's they don't want to subscribe to societal norms. So that that's that, you know that's the more difficult group to have. But you you can't let them hang out under freeway overpasses. I would argue that that's not being kind and that's not being compassionate. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I don't completely disagree with a lot of what you're saying, but I just want to make a couple of points. The city and the county have a task force, and they are busting their you know what to get folks into housing, and I don't mean just shelters. HUD changed some of its rules, but they are working very, very hard to get the tents closed down to get people into housing. But it's not working. It's the well, tents, no, the it, tents it, are exploding. No, it worked until spring came, yeah. and we have had an explosion with the good weather. Um, I'm a cynic, and I have worked with this population, both with a, a, volunteering at a meal program. When it gets cold, mm-hmm. they'll go in, except for the some of the ones that are so addled and so mentally ill. And then you have to think about what coercive measures you can legally use or that you want to use. Um, So I 
So what's your solution? Well, tell me, what do we do over the next couple months? My solution is to put money into um, actual housing, dormitories, rooms, mm-hmm. places that people can go. You know, when we had the old hotels, the old single-room occupancy hotels, you had sort of like a right. social service system. We tore them all down because we wanted downtown development. Mm-hmm. But something something like that and something that... Some of those have, hotels for transients and stuff yeah, like that. It, sure. to be man- it would have to be managed. That would be... That would be my long-term solution, but it's too easy to say just go in there and clean them out because um, if you clean them out, you got to put them someplace, and probably that's why the Department of Transportation is not asking the police to evict them. I mean, the, the Department of Transportation could call right now and yep. say we've got trespassers on our property, get rid of them. But then I, I bet they're being urged not to do that because. What then do the police, the social services, everybody do with them? Well, you, 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 know, take, you take them back to the rescue missions. No, you don't take them back. Why? That's another thing. The, if, if you work at all with the homeless population, the rescue mission does, their rules are not just rules about not drinking and not fighting. That's what they'll tell you. But they have really, really stringent um, conditions about your stuff and where you can be, and the homeless people would always say they would go to any shelter but the rescue mission, and the rescue mission can't hold all of them anyway. Um, what's going to if you just rouse them now without a place to go, they're going to end up out back down on Sixth Street at the encampment. There are various encampments uh-huh. all over the county, and that's what Street Angels will tell you. I've got very very mixed feelings about Street Angels. I gave them money last winter when they were going out in the polar vortex and giving people soup. Right. Um, I'm Street not Angels sure is the group that's providing the tents and yeah. uh, the food. and yeah. uh, right. But they, I mean, if you talk to Sarah Saracen or read what she said, she doesn't like the tent city either. But her point is, yeah, you get rid of the tent city and they're going to go back to sleeping rough in these little enclaves and th- there needs to be housing. Fate, Fate Kohler has the right idea and frankly so do the city and the county. And they're like they are working very, very hard to get the people out of the tents and back into housing. But but again, it's not working. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, not. It's growing. The, the, the tent city continues to grow. It's getting bigger every day. Uh, take a look on October the fifteenth. Well, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, oh, well, let me, average, that's the average first frost, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Let, okay. Let me ask you this, Lucy. Right. A year from now. You think that there are, are spring rolls around, people want to hang out under the freeway overpass, the Democratic National Convention is here. Do you think that the Department of Transportation and the local government is going to allow that to happen next year? No. I, okay, fair enough. They'll, they'll call and say, rouse them, okay. and I'd like to see do something positive before it gets to that. Okay, fair enough. I, that, fair, fair enough. And I, I guess my, my only point on this is if, if, you're, if you're going to rouse them – if we're not going to allow this to operate during the Democratic National Convention because we think it's bad for the city, and I think most of us would agree it's bad for the people that are there, well, maybe that means we should be <laughs> – you know, the fact that you've got people coming in um, just because it's bad optics, and it is bad optics, but, but it's also bad on all sorts of other things, maybe we should be doing it now. And by the way, I don't disagree with the idea of transient hotels and stuff, and I also understand that you're always going to have a certain percentage of people who are going to be homeless by, by choice, certain percentage because, uh, again, mental illness, drug addiction, all, all those types of things. But for people who I'm, I'm with it. For people who want 
want shelter, want housing. I think we need to do everything we can to you know figure out ways to offer them those temporary facilities with the idea of trying to get them into some more permanent stuff. I'm just arguing tents under the overpass is not the way to go, and we're going in the opposite direction. Lucy, you might be right. And once it gets cold, people will, will bail on that. But it doesn't help people between now and then where you've got unsanitary conditions and you've got drug use and you've got crime and you've got violence. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. I want to revisit something we talked about last week. Because it continues to be in the news. There's something going on tonight with regard to this. And ever since I took my position, I have been, well, besieged by different emails and texts from people saying, we disagree with you. And by the way, I haven't changed my position on this, but I I always love a lively discussion. Um, I don't see that there's any choice other than to close Wanaki Golf Course. Now, if you haven't been following the story, in Wisconsin, Okay, around here, there are a lot of great golf courses. We're we're really blessed in this area. We're cursed because we've got a really short golf season, but there's lots of really great golf courses. There are private clubs where you have to pay a downstroke to get in to play, but there are a number of what what we describe as semi-private courses, and these would be courses that are privately run but are open to the general public. Some of them are are really exclusive high-end sort of courses like Whistling Straits and Kohler or Black Wolf Run. Anybody can play them, but, you know, it costs several hundred dollars to play them, so that prices a lot of people out of the market. But but most of the semi-private golf courses aren't charging hundreds and hundreds of dollars to play. I mean, there's lots of great golf courses around here that are owned by private operators that are are very, very reasonably priced. And then... You have the golf courses that are operated by the the counties. In Milwaukee County, there's like six or seven, I think, public golf courses. Dretzka, Brown Deer, Lincoln Park. I grew up playing golf on on Lincoln Park. Um, Oakmont, uh, uh, just a... Uh, just a number of, you know, different golf courses that are around that are operated by the county. Ozaki County has two uh, county-owned golf courses, Mequon and Hawthorne Hills. I play golf on Sunday mornings at Hawthorne Hills. I love it, okay? And then in Waukesha, and there's lots of great golf courses in Waukesha County, there are three that are run by the county. One is Nagawaki on uh, Nagawaki on on uh, in Pewaukee. One is more da- <clears throat> more M O R E Downs, and the third is the the Nagawaki Golf. The the third is the um, Wanaki Golf Course in Menominee Falls. Okay, the Wanaki Golf Course, and people say, "Well, Jeff, you don't understand it. It's so incredibly popular." Well, it, it no, because Wanaki has lost, over the last 10 years, on average, $100,000 a year. Some years, the loss has been smaller, 40 or 50 grand. Other years, the loss has been huge, like 240 grand. But it's hemorrhaging money. It doesn't come close to paying for itself. That's just... That's just the reality. And I know that there's people who love it and it's always busy and it's tough to get on and all that stuff, but but it's not making money. Matter of fact, it's losing money. So what's going on is they've been able to keep it afloat because they, they've had like a reserve fund and they've drawn on it and they've drawn on it, but now that reserve fund is gone. 
On top of that, uh, they estimate that they need the course needs some improvements, about $650,000 worth of improvements, and they don't have that money anywhere. So the county has come up with the idea that, look, we're, we're going to have to close this down. We can't continue to operate this as an ongoing concern. And their hope is that people will well, – they've got a number of different plans. First of all, for people who only want to play at county golf courses, their hope is that people will go to one of the other two county golf courses and, you know, spur their, their play. Now, some people say, well, you know, Nagawaki's too tough to walk and more downs isn't that great. Well, okay, maybe, maybe not. But they're hoping for people who want to go to a different county course, they'll go to those. The possibilities are that, you know, maybe you can sell it to a developer – Maybe you could try to find a private operator to come in and continue to operate that. But my point would be if the place is losing $100,000 a year, I I don't know that you're going to be able to find a private operator that will buy it and maintain it as a golf course. And, of course, the other point is in Waukesha, it's not like you don't have all sorts of other, again, golf opportunities um, at places – that are perhaps as good or better for the same amount of money. I mean, Silver Spring, which is a private course, but open to the public, that's right down the street. So anyhow, and this always happens whenever something that's been kind of an institution is talked about closing down. Um, there's a group, there's a meeting tonight at the clubhouse. People are going to try to get together and say, we, we've, we've got to save this and we're signing a petition or whatever. But the bottom line is, it's hemorrhaging money. That That's just... That is the reality. So the only way, as a practical matter, that this stays open is a massive infusion of Waukesha County taxpayer dollars into it and probably, you know, dramatic increases in prices for green fees or whatever, which presumably will lower the, the play. All right. Now, my attitude was, look, I, I if, if my favorite golf course was closing down, would I be bummed out too? Absolutely. I, I would. So I, I'm not I'm not unsympathetic to that. But at the same time, it's not like that's the only game in town. There's lots of other golf opportunities. And I don't think it's fair to ask, ask the taxpayers of Waukesha County to pick up the tab to underwrite continuing this golf course being in operation. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I haven't played the course in years, so some people were saying, well, you haven't played it, so that's why you don't care. I, I Okay, I haven't played it in years and years, but th- this is a question of given all the other needs that are out there and given all the other availability, op- available opportunities for public golf, should the taxpayers be expected to underwrite to a you know relatively significant downstroke, if you're talking about losing a hundred thousand dollars per year on average over the last decade, some years a lot more, plus figure out where you're going to get you know half a million or more to put into capital improvements. I mean, is the county wrong to close this down? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be would be no. I mean, when it comes to golf courses especially given all the golf courses that are out there, I think you have to run it as a business. And for a business that's losing a hundred grand on average over the last decade, that business is going to shut down. 414-799-1620, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
We're back. WTMJ. I, here, here's just the bottom line. I mean, I nobody likes to see their favorite golf course closed. So I understand why people in Waukesha, or at least some people, are upset that they're talking about that they're going to close Wanaki Golf Course in Menominee Falls. The problem is it's hemorrhaging money. And unless you're going to turn around and say to the taxpayers, hey, you need to subsidize a golf course, well, then there's no other realistic option. And for all the people out in Waukesha County, do you really want to subsidize a failing golf course? 414-799-1620. Chris in Menominee Falls. Chris, you're neck of the woods. Hello. Hi, how are you? I, I learned to play golf there, so mm-hmm. this is an emotional thing sure. for me. I understand that, but... um. I guess the point that I want to make is what's wrong with closing more downs first and seeing if, uh, you know, they can, they can close that course down, save some money, and keep Wenaki open, only for the fact that uh, I'm an old golf coach and so forth. Uh, a lot of high schools use that for golf tournaments, and I understand that there are other golf courses around. Mm-hmm. I do get that, but I, I'm just thinking, why are they going to the nth degree and – I'm closing this golf course because it it's the biggest money. I think it's the biggest money loser. Oh, I, I would say it's probably the biggest money loser, maybe, and the property is worth the most money. I would think as a so, as a not as a golf course, but for a developer, right, right? As a subdivision, which I don't think Sussex needs more houses, but <laughs> I just would hate to see that golf course go because of. I mean, I'm 52 years old, huh. and there's been a lifelong bunch of memories there for me and i get you know the money part of it right but it'd be nice to see if they could think outside the box and figure out a way how to save it right well no and i appreciate and i and and chris i i get the sentimental value i mean i i mean if if they were saying more downs i have no doubt that we'd be getting all sorts of people calling ah you can't close more downs now here's uh, here's what the county says that they have done so uh, paul farrow friend good guy waukesha county executive says look we're we, we don't we didn't wake up one morning and just say, okay, we're going to close this golf course. Now, keep in mind, it has been hemorrhaging money for the last decade. They say, okay, here, here's we've tried to do all sorts of things. We've tried to provide enhanced food and beverage organs. We've tried to organize more small events with live music, specialty foods, beverage tastings. Um, we've reduced seasonal hours. We've implemented a bridge project to try to reduce ongoing maintenance costs and decrease closure days due to flooding. You know, we've tried to do all this stuff we we've we've thought about all these things and unfortunately it it hasn't worked and and so you know they're they're trying to do all this different type of stuff but but it's all it's failed and and see i make this point all the time sometimes stuff just happens sometimes you you get facilities or whatever and they simply they out they outlive their usefulness and, you know, very popular at one point in time, but they fade off. Here's the other problem you have with golf courses in general, and this is my perspective as a golfer. The the number of rounds being played on golf courses in general are down dramatically. So what, what's happened is I think, I think younger people aren't taking up the game uh, as many as, as people like my age are. It, you know, if, if you look around a lot of these clubs, yeah, maybe you see some young people like the golfers, and stuff, but most basically it's older guys and or gals. Uh, and, you know, you've got the senior leagues, and they, they do well at these different golf courses, but it, it's kind of a generational thing. Again, I, I play at Hawthorne Hills in Sockville, which is a public course. I've been playing there on Sundays. And 10 or 15 years ago, very, very difficult to get tee times on weekends. Now, just the reality is not as much so.
You know, so there's a bunch of regulars that do it. But, you know, I mean, I understand what they're doing at the county. You're looking at this. You've got you've got a golf property that's been hemorrhaging money. Um, rounds are down. You've tried all sorts of different things. And, again, I think it's tough to go and ask people. Um, it's it's tough to go and, and ask people, taxpayers, to underwrite the cost of a failing golf course, especially when there are so many other options that are around for the golfers. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Greetings and salutations. Hi, Chris. I'm surprising that's two Chris's in a row. Sure. Um, I would respectfully submit that you are absolutely wrong on this matter. You have bought into, and I voted for the gentleman, uh, Mr. Farrell's attitude of treating this like a business per se. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at the studies, this is a health and welfare type of a thing. We provide parks. We have basketball courts, tennis courts, swimming beaches. Nobody looks at those facilities and says, how much buck are we getting for our bang? The golf course is a recreational facility. Waukesha does not have, we've got two full-size courses, as you are aware, and then the pitch and putt executive moors on this. Yeah, but there's also a number of other golf opportunities in the privately run golf courses. There's a ton of them in Waukesha. So, I mean, why why should the county subsidize one of these failing courses when there's so many other options for recreation for for golfers? I mean, it's not like they're not going to be able to play golf. It's just go down the road a little bit and play at Silver Spring or, or Willow Run or wherever. Some of the studies that have come out, Jeff, with respect to business transfers, one of the top three things that major businesses look at is the amount of public facilities that are being provided by the community they are thinking of moving into. What are the opportunities if they want to bring in their business people? This golf course, and I I golf it at least 40 times uh, per year, this golf course has a cross-section people who cannot be affording those other private options, such as Silver Spring, or if you're going to drive all the way down into Maguanago and so forth, it is a cross-section of the populace. And a government is supposed to, and I'm very conservative, the government is supposed to be helping their people. And by the way... So your point is they can't ever close it down. It's, it's this golf course. It doesn't matter how much money it's costing. We just have to keep it open. No, I am not going to say nothing. That That's ridiculous. I'm not going to say that, Jeff. But when you're talking about it, if it averages out, for instance, to $100,000 a year, yep. that's less than 50 cents per person. So when one is talking about hemorrhaging money and so forth, yeah. that's less than 50 cents per resident of Waukesha County. And by the way, please don't buy into the notion that it is losing this money. I intend to go to the meeting tonight. Um, as you are well aware, governments can play games with the monies. Waukesha tried, Farrell's predecessor, Mr. Finley, tried to close the course down about 15 years ago, I think it is, maybe a dozen years Unfortunately, it didn't perk out. So the plans to quickly sell it and get that downstroke, that short-sighted few million dollar downstroke and get something else off of the county books as a service fell flat on its face. Well, I guess I well, good. I mean, look, I Chris, good luck going to the meeting. Okay, Uh, but this idea that this is some conspiracy. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. And, and as far as, you know, the, the obligation to provide stuff to the public, I, I, 
I get it. You know, parks don't necessarily have to make money. There's a public service. But we're talking about golf courses, which to me is a completely different animal. And there are some very, very affordable golf courses in Waukesha County should people want to play them. I get it. You love the golf course. But unfortunately, there's not enough of you that are playing at the golf course to make it sustainable. So, I mean, all right, if you want to have a referendum in in Waukesha County and say, all right, we've got to come up with on average, $100,000 a year on average, and we've got to come up with uh, you know half a million dollars plus to make improvements. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to pay more in taxes? Are you willing to give up other sort of services to keep a golf course open, which services a relatively small number of people compared to everybody in the county, and for which those same people have a number of other options that are out there? I mean, realistic options, including two other public golf courses that the county runs. Now, if county voters decide to say, we're going to do that, let's save Wanaki, okay, well, then go with God. But to me, it just doesn't make any sort of sense to do that. And I get why people are passionate with golf courses. I, I understand that. If Ozaki County decided, hey, we're you know we're only going to have one course, well, that, that would bum me out. Because again, I, I love the course we play on Sundays. But I would understand that as a resident of Ozaki County and a taxpayer. So, plus, you also go into the notion, like I said earlier, golf is a declining activity. Fewer and fewer and fewer people are playing it. So I'm sure as they're looking to the future, they're saying, okay, we've been losing money on average $100,000 a year. We've tried all these different things. It's not working. So I guess then the question becomes, well, all right, are, are we going to continue throwing good money after bad? Are we going to say we need to subsidize this, like we need to subsidize the bus service or whatever, or can we just ask people to play at Moore Downs or Nagawaki or any one of a number of the other courses that are out there and are available to the public? Residents of Waukesha County will decide, but I understand what they're doing. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Do you want State Fair tickets? Wisconsin's radio station. That's us. Is your best chance to win tickets to the Wisconsin State Fair? Tune in tomorrow during Wisconsin's Morning News, and you can try your hand at the State Fair Fun Fact of the Day. Be the first caller to answer the fun fact correctly, and you'll win four free tickets to the fair. Good luck. Check out Wisconsin's uh, afternoon news. All right. You know, there during our, our news that uh, Melissa was just talking about this new reckless driving initiative that they've announced. And, and this is you talk about public private partnerships. This is this is something that um, is a public private partnership. You have several area businesses that have contributed fifteen thousand dollars for overtime pay for officers to concentrate on four intersections on both the north and south side. Now, look, I understand that there's a lot more really, really dangerous intersections, but but you got to start somewhere. So they're going to be targeting intersections on 60th Street and West Capitol Drive. That's where you know one of the fatal collisions just occurred. North 27th Street and West Center Street and West Fond du Lac Avenue. South Cesar Chavez Drive and Greenfield Avenue and Muskego and South 35th Street and West National. So, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a start. And they're going to have extra police presence and things like that. And it's not the permanent answer. But I think, again, it, it's a good start. And kudos to uh, the police chief who's done it. Um, a couple different law firms, Hupi and Abraham and the Cone Law Firm. 
um, all stepped up, and you, you got to love it. I mean, that's that's the idea, and hopefully, it this will expand. You know, th- this comes on the heels of yet another fatal collision the other night. Again, this is this is one that kind of goes through me because I drive this stretch of uh, all all the time at Ninety First Street and Good Hope Road. Um, what happened in the weekend is you had, as often happens, you had two guys. They're driving on Ninety First Street, heading northbound towards Good Hope Road, ninety one hundred block of West Good Hope Road. That's that's right before you get to the freeways out there. If you can kind of picture this, so they're going northbound on Ninety Fourth, Ninety First Street. There's a, a red light. They run the red light, and apparently. Um, you know, hit an eastbound vehicle. So a vehicle coming east to west on Good Hope, uh, there is a collision. Again, this is the situation, the two guys that blow through the red light. In this particular case, you know, they're killed. Uh, the occupants of the eastbound vehicle suffered injuries that are not life-threatening. But again, it's it, it's more of the same sort of stuff about reckless driving and going through red lights. And I, again, I, I credit to the people who've stepped up to try to fund this initiative. Credit to the police chief for recognizing that there you know is a problem that needs to be dealt with. And credit to Alderman Bob Donovan and some of the other elected officials for saying, hey, let's get behind this and let's try it. And hopefully, if this works, maybe you can expand it throughout the area. Okay. We don't talk about foreign policy a lot on this program because it's tough to know what the right and the wrong thing to do is. But but when it comes to what Iran is doing in the Middle East, it seems to me that it's going to get worse before it gets better, and we need to figure out what the response is. If you haven't been following the story since Friday, Iran, Iran seized a, a British tanker. I mean, it's, they're, they're pirates. They, they just they took this British tanker, they've seized it, and right now they are holding, at least as of the last time I checked, unless something dramatically has changed, they're, they're holding... They're holding the tanker and they're holding the crewmen on board. They have just gone out and they have seized a ship moving through a tanker, moving through the Strait of Hormuz. Now, I understand that a lot of us get confused with foreign countries and things like that. And I fit into that category as well as regards to geography. But let me just kind of paint a word picture of what the map looks like. You have the Persian Gulf, which is where you have all these really, really oil-rich states, oil coming from the Persian Gulf. You've got, um, bordering the Persian Gulf on one side, you've got Qatar, you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got the United Arab Emigrants. They're they're all big oil producers, and they're on one side of the um, Persian Gulf. Iran, which is a huge landmass, Iran is on the other side of the Persian Gulf. Oil moves through the Persian Gulf, and it goes through this really narrow body of water. It's called the Straits of Hormuz. And it's about what, uh, it's only 21 miles wide. A very, very narrow, okay? So it's a very, very narrow waterway. It's 21 miles wide, 21 miles wide. So you've got Iran on one side, you've got all these other countries on the other side, and all these tankers, that are moving oil from the Persian Gulf, what they have to do is they have to 
go through this 21-mile strait of Hormuz. And then they get into the Gulf of Oman, and then they get out into the Arabian Sea. But you've got to go through this really, really narrow waterway. Think the Panama Canal, except it's the, the Straits of Hormuz. Iran has been threatening to block this and stop all these tankers from coming out. They've done things like place mines, and two oil tankers hit mines. Uh, they, they commandeered this British ship. Now, the U.S. has a fleet in the area, and the truth of the matter is Iran's navy is not big enough or strong enough to really block the Straits of Hormuz. But what they can do is they probably can do these sort of one-off type of things, you know, figure out, you know, where a particular tanker is that might not be near a British warship or might not be where near, you know, U.S., you know, U.S. carrier or something. And they could go over and do what they did the other day. They could grab that. Could they block it? In all likelihood, no. But they, they could continue to cause havoc and seize various vessels. As you might expect, the United Kingdom is not happy that their vessel has been taken. This is not the first time Iran has done things. They shot down a U.S. drone, and they've now apparently, you know, grabbed a bunch of people saying that they're going to be executed because they're spies. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, some people are saying that what Iran did Grabbing the British warship, the British tanker, is, is an act of, of piracy. It's an act of war, and that NATO needs to get involved, and there needs to be a military response, which means the U.S. would have a military response. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to be more aggressive with Iran militarily? Because they are clearly spoiling for a fight. Should President Trump give it to them? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you what I think, but I'm curious about what you think. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, you know what do we do now? Iran, they put mines in the Straits of Hormuz, this 21-mile stretch that, that oil has to go through if it's going to come out of the Persian Gulf. They've seized a British tanker and have the crew. What, what do we do? What's the response? Frank in Bayview. Frank, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Um, I mentioned a group. My first thought, uh, I think, should always be to try to continue and, and advocate for negotiations, you know, to the extent that they can be effective. But on the other side of that coin, if we give in to them, you know, to use those words or to use that phrase, if right. we give in... That only opens the door for all the other surrounding countries to kind of make similar dem- demands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's my comment. Right, or or I mean, Iran is the problem. Iran is a, a rogue nation, and they're trying to get a nuclear capability so they can blow Israel off the map. That's what they're trying to do. So the question becomes, you know, how much how much negotiating can you do with them? The definition of a rogue nation: it, you kind of define a rogue nation by their actions. So, again, you know, we give in or we cave, so to speak. Right. That's only going to embolden these other people, you know, because it's all about money. It all boils down to these tariffs that we've been strangleholding yes. them with. Yep. Yep. Thanks, no, you're, no, you're right. I mean, thank, thanks, Scott. And I think, actually, I think the tariffs are, are, are working, the economic pressure, because they're still continuing with their, like, nuclear enrichment 
program. I think the tariffs are working, and that's why they're, they're trying to do some of this other stuff in an effort to put pressure on the U.S. or the international community to put pressure on the U.S. to kind of let up. Sam and McHenry. Hi, Sam. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I think we had these guys right from day one. The negotiating was already done during the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton and Obama, and that whole bunch, giving them all this money. Now, that was a bad move. Trump took it away, and sure enough, you're looking at a regime that is doing a lot with nothing, basically. Imagine what they would be doing if they had the nuclear weapons. So right. with, with that being said, we have no other choice at this point, I think. Once you start taking ships and hostages and all this other nonsense, you start, you're pretty much at the point where it has to be an eye for an eye now. And, and, and you know, you give one hit to them when they give us a hit, and you just keep this up until they finally get the message. I, I don't know what else you can do. Well, I guess, I mean, th- thanks. I mean, here, here's... Here, here's my thoughts on this. I, I don't think you can you can I don't think you can cave in. If anything, I would say continue to ratchet up the sanctions. Now, I, I think the other thing that I would do is the ships that pass through the the Straits of Hormuz. Maybe it's time to take like a World War II approach. And because, as I was saying earlier, given the given the military presence that, that's out there, I don't think they can block this, the Straits of Hormuz. What they can do is you, you can do, again, these kind of like one-off attacks where you, you see the isolated tanker, and then, boom, you get up the helicopter, and they send out a couple gunboats, and they drop down people wearing masks, and they, they take over the boat. Do they have the capability militarily to do some of these one-off kind of like guerrilla raids? Yeah, they, they, they probably do. Here's, I mean, if I were king, here's one of the things that I would be looking at is I would be looking at, you know, convoys as opposed to just, and again, in a perfect world, you just have free trade. You have these ships that are going through at any given time. I would say, okay, maybe, you know, what we need to do is we need to organize con- convoys where, you know, all these different ships are going to go through on certain schedules, and they're going to go through together. And, you know, when those convoys are going through, and there's a lot, I appreciate that there's a lot of ships that go through the Straits of Hormuz on a given day. Lots of oil comes through. But, you know, we're, we're going to do it in more measured times. We're going to do it as part of convoys, and there's going to be a bit of a military presence there. So if you have this helicopter that comes out and they try to an act of piracy on one of the ships, you've got this military presence. And, yeah, then... Yeah, then you shoot the helicopter out of the sky or you, you know, my guess is, you know, if there's if there's a military presence, you're not going to have you're not going to have the Revolutionary Guard being as aggressive as it is. They're they're picking on they're picking on isolated, unprotected uh, ships, tankers. If if there is a convoy and there's a military presence, my guess is they're not going to do it because then you're going to have some warship um, that's going to say, okay, get away from this, or if not, we're going to shoot the helicopter out of the sky and we're going to sink the gunboats. And my guess is that'll be the end of that. So do I think that you should just start lobbing cruise missiles into you know Iran? My, my answer is no. I, I don't think it's at that point. I would continue to ratchet up the tariffs, and I would protect the shipping lanes more. I think that's the next step. And if there's more acts of aggression, well, then you deal with it because you can't allow piracy like this by a rogue nation. But I think that's where I would go next if I were king. Where President Trump decides to go, we will see. Okay, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Greg and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.
257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Special thanks to uh, Steve Scafidi's producer, Jordan, who did double duty today. My producer dealing with uh, car troubles. That's what he says. Oh, John. that's a your bummer. Car tri- it that's is a bad. bummer. And not, nothing worse than that.